Have you ever played the board game, Would You Rather? Would you rather? I, this is not an endorsement, it's a stupid game. Okay, but we happen to have it on our shelf at home and we bring it out with friends and play it occasionally. When it's your turn, you take a card and it gives you two choices. Okay, would you rather do this or do that? And so you got to kind of make up your mind. You don't tell anybody. They've got to guess which option you chose. Now, what I hate about the game is, is that most often both options are awful. I mean, you, you don't want either one. So how do you make the decision? Let, let me give you an example. This is a typical would-you-rather card. So would you rather spend a night floating on an inner tube in the ocean or lost in the jungle? It's like neither, right? I mean, that's how I'm feeling. Or let, let's look at another. Would you rather be beautiful and boring or homely with a great personality? I already am homely with a great personality. All right? Uh, third one, would you rather share your home with six 90-year-old men or with two ostriches? Who thinks these up? Okay, well, one last one. Would you rather be the circus person that the knife thrower throws knives at or be the one who sticks their head into the lion's mouth? Two bad choices. Would you rather? Okay, let me, let me make the game a bit more realistic. Would you rather be 17 years old, pregnant, so your, 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 your college opportunity has been thrown out the window, or get an abortion and move ahead with your life? Okay, would you rather be 30 years old, married and pregnant, discover that your baby has Down syndrome, or get an abortion and hope that the next child is healthy? Would you rather be 45 years old, pregnant, already the mother of four kids, financially drowning, or, or get an abortion and be able to survive? Sounds like all bad options, right? Hey, we're, we're in the fourth week of a six-part series called Back to Plan A. God's countercultural wisdom, back to plan A. We're looking each week at a contemporary, very important issue where our culture has been drifting further and further away from the principles of God's word, further and further away from God's plan A. Today's topic, obviously, is abortion. But friends, here's the rub with this particular topic. Sometimes God's plan A in this regard, which, which we all know ideally is to preserve a baby's life, but sometimes God's plan A doesn't seem like a very good option to a woman with an unwanted pregnancy. So what's the alternative? Terminating the pregnancy? Hmm. Occasionally both options can seem pretty awful to a woman who's stuck making that decision. And those of us who are pro-life don't always understand the awfulness of that dilemma, or at least we don't communicate an empathy with those who are facing such a dilemma. What they seem to hear from us is, we insist you have the baby and wreck your life. So are those the only two options for the woman who's been surprised by an unwanted pregnancy? Either get an abortion or you wreck your life. You know, I hope by the time we finish studying God's Word today, I, I hope it's clear that neither of these two options is God's plan A. Okay, neither an abortion nor a wrecked life is God's plan for someone with an unwanted pregnancy. So what is God's plan A? We're going to start by looking at Psalm 139 in the Bible. So go right to the middle of your Bible, if you would. Psalm 139, as you're turning, I want to say a brief word of introduction to two groups of people that I know are represented across our four campuses. 
Okay, let, let, let me speak first to those of you who have already at some point in the past participated in abortion. Either the woman who terminated her pregnancy or someone who suggested, encouraged her to do so. A, a, a dad, a mom, a best friend, a boyfriend. Okay, what I want you to hear right up front is that the goal of this sermon is not condemnation. The goal of this sermon is not condemnation. Satan wants to haunt you with your past. But God wants to deliver you from your past. That's the truth. You know, but you, you've got to make the decision. You've got to choose to seek God with all your heart. So let me say, if you're in this category and in a church our size, there are a number of people in this group listening to me right now. Please hang in there throughout the whole sermon. There are going to be parts that are, you know, ouch, or I'm not sure I agree, or hang in there. Okay, the, the second group I want to address are those of us who are re- already opposed, strongly opposed to abortion. And I, I want you to know that the goal of this sermon is not to provide us with ammunition to shoot at pro-choicers. Okay, we got a bigger job to do than merely protesting abortion or participating in pro-life rallies. God calls us to lovingly come alongside of those who feel like their only option is an abortion or erect life. So, so what can we do? We're going to look at this. What can we do to ensure that unwanted pregnancies don't wreck people's lives? So I'm going to be rolling out God's plan A, his, his alternative to, to abortion in the form of three foundational biblical principles. If you haven't taken the outline out yet, I encourage you to do so today of all days because I'm going to be just flooding you with a lot of information. A lot of it, responses to arguments that you hear out there every day about abortion. So here's the first biblical principle. The value of human life is ordained by God. Okay, the value of human life is ordained by God. And if you're open to Psalm 139, let me begin reading at verse 13. I love, I love this passage. You created my inmost being. The psalmist is talking to God. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. In fact, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine you're a parent, and you're standing at the kitchen sink, you're washing up the dinner dishes, and your nine-year-old son comes up behind you, and he asks a question. Now, you can't see him. Your back is turned to him, but you hear his question. He asks, can I kill this? So what's your answer? You say, well, it depends on what he's talking about, right? If he's looking at the house plant that's kind of dry and brown, been sitting on the kitchen counter a little too long, and he's saying, hey, can I throw this out? Put it out of its misery? Sure. Get rid of it. If he's got a fly swatter in hand and he's looking at a fly on the window pane, can I kill this? By all means, do it. Okay? If he's looking at the family's desktop computer and you had a program open but you're done with the program and he wants to use it and so he's asking, can I kill this? Sure. I don't mind. But if you turn around and your nine-year-old son has your six-year-old daughter in a headlock, and he's looking at you with a devious smile on his face saying, can I kill this? What's your response? No, 
In fact, go to your room right now. We'll talk about this later when I cool off, right? Because we instinctively know that killing a human being is not a good thing. You could kill a houseplant, you could kill a fly, you could kill a computer program, but it's not okay to kill an innocent human life. Why not? Well, the biblical answer to that question is that people are unique creations of God. That's what Psalm 139 teaches. That that every baby is, is being knit together in its mother's womb by God. Fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalm says. You know, the opening chapter of the Bible, Psalm uh, Genesis, rather, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, tell us that we've been made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Nothing else in God's creation can make that claim. I mean, giant sequoias are created by God, but not in his image. The majestic Rocky Mountains, created by God, but not in his image. The vast oceans teeming with life, created by God, but not, say it, in his image. Okay, all the funky animals you'll run into at Brookfield Zoo, created by God, but not in his image. Your faithful golden retriever, created by God, but not in his image. Some of you dog owners, you were slow on that one. Okay. But it's, it's true. It's true, only people are created in God's very image. Which is why people have immeasurable worth. Which is why human life, including pre-born human life, is to be preserved at all cost. This is something that God is making. But those who promote abortion as an alternative to an unwanted pregnancy, they would disagree with this first principle from God's word. There are usually two arguments used to devalue the life of a preborn baby. So again, you might want to jot these arguments down because you're going to run into them. Argument number one goes like this: a, a preborn baby is not a human being. Okay, at least not yet. Not yet a human being. Okay, if it's not a human being, what is it? Okay, if you run into a kinder, gentler, pro-choicer, they'll say, well, it's a it's a fetus, it's human tissue. If you run into an ornery abortion advocate, somebody like Dr. Warren Hearn, who's written a medical textbook for doctors, teaching them how to use certain abortion techniques, he defines an unwanted pregnancy as a disease, a parasitic illness. And and Patricia Beninato, founder of the pro-abortion website, I'm Not Sorry, She puts it this way, yes, a fetus is alive, but weeds are life, and mold is life, and bugs are life, and we destroy those on a regular basis. Weeds, mold, bugs, babies. You know, one thing Sesame Street taught me is that one of these things is not like the others. This argument, friends, that preborn babies are not yet human beings, it flies in the face of so much evidence. I mean, for starters, you got the biblical evidence. We looked at it in Psalm 139, that a preborn baby is, is being purposefully fashioned in the womb of a mom by Almighty God. 
And, and then you've got the scientific evidence that this baby is fully human from conception on. In fact, Peter Singer, who is a pro-abortion bioethicist at Princeton University, who says some, some really awful stuff, if you've read any of his, uh, anything he's written, he has this to say about a preborn baby. He says, whether a being is a member of a given species is something that can be determined scientifically by an examination of the nature of the chromosomes in the cells of living organisms. In this sense, okay, this pro-abortion bioethicist says, in this sense, there is no doubt that from the first moments of its existence, an embryo conceived from human sperm and eggs is a human being. Wow. That's the scientific evidence. And, and then there's the visible evidence, thanks to modern ultrasound machines, we, we can now see a preborn baby in a mother's womb. And what is it we see? Oh my goodness. At three weeks, we can see, we can see a heart beating at three weeks. At six weeks, brain waves are measured and recorded. At seven weeks, when a woman is finally waking up to the reality, I'm pregnant, uh, the ultrasound can show the baby's hands moving, the neck turning, the hiccups beginning. At eight weeks, we can see breathing motions, we can see fingers and toes. In fact, that preborn baby now possesses 90% of the body parts that are found in adults. At eight weeks, See, the visible evidence that this is a human being. Please understand, this is not a potential human being. This is a human being with potential. It's not a potential. It's a human being. Dr. Bernard Nathanson, an OBGYN from New York City, at one time he led the fight for the legalization of abortion back in the early 70s. Okay, he presided over an abortion clinic, the, the busiest abortion clinic in the world at the time. They did 60,000 abortions while he was directing the facility. He started looking after 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision came out. He started looking at these ultrasound images and had a complete change of heart. He not only gave up doing abortions, he spent the rest of his life trying to put an end to abortion. See, the visible, the visible evidence. And then finally, I would recommend we consider the common sense evidence. Have you, have you ever noticed what even abortion advocates uh, say that the, whatever it is inside the, the woman's womb, what do they call it? Call it a baby, most often. You know, back when Kate announced to the world about a year and a half ago uh, that she was pregnant, the most secular press in Great Britain said, this is an heir to the throne of England. Okay, this is a royal baby. And nobody said, this is a fetus, this is human tissue. See, that's our default. That's how we talk. A preborn baby is not a baby only if a mother decides to deliver it, and if she decides to abort it, then it's a fetus. No, it is what it is what it is. It's a baby. It's fully human. It's made in the image of Almighty God. So what's the second argument that devalues the worth of a preborn baby? It goes something like this. And again, you've heard this. A preborn baby is disposable if it will not be able to function as a normal human being. Okay, prior to the time when it's able to function as a normal human being, you, you can terminate its life. Th this view is sometimes called functionalism. 
And it's used as a justification to, to, to terminate two kinds of preborn babies. First, you got those who are not yet viable. So if the child in the mother's womb, let's say, is only eight weeks old, okay, only three months old, that child cannot live outside its mother's womb. It's dependent upon its mom. It can't function on its own. So the argument goes, it's not fully human life and can be disposed of. Now, I'm a grandpa. My response to this argument is, whoa, wait a second. I got two not-quite-one-year-old grandsons who are pretty doggone cute. And if you apply this argument to them, can, can, can they exist without the sustaining work of their moms? Absolutely not. They are totally dependent little guys. Does that make them disposable? See, viability, oh my goodness, that's, uh, you don't want to make that argument. Opens Pandora's box. The, the other kind of preborn that it allows us to consider terminating are those with defects. You know, take something like Down syndrome. Uh, David Platt, who wrote this book, Counterculture, the book that from the beginning of the series I've been recommending, in fact, it's a good book for a community group study, Counterculture. Uh, David is a pastor of a church down in Alabama, and he tells the story uh, about Thomas. Thomas is a teenager in his church who every Sunday comes up, gives him a bear hug, gives him all the details of his life. Thomas has Down syndrome. David Platt writes this about Thomas. He says, I can't get Thomas out of my mind when I hear a pediatric geneticist at Boston Children's Hospital report that an estimated 92% of all women who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome choose to terminate their pregnancies. And then David Platt adds, we are killing 90% of the Thomases in our culture. So biblical principle number one, the, the, the value of human life is ordained by God. Biblical principle number two, the taking of human life is prohibited by God. The taking of human life is prohibited by God. I want you to go to another passage. We're going to go to the second book in your Bible. So go toward the left side of your Bible, the book of Exodus chapter 20. Okay, it's not too difficult to find. This is the chapter where the Ten Commandments are recorded. So if you've always wanted to know, where are those Ten Commandments? Right here, Exodus 20, God's top ten moral imperatives. And we're going to read commandment number six together. It's very brief, very straightforward. You'll find it in Exodus 20, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see it on the screen. So, with a robust voice, let's read verse 13 together. Commandment number six, here we go. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, some of you, as a child, you may have learned the Ten Commandments in the old King James Version, the old English that dates back to the 1600s. It said, thou shalt not what? Kill. See, why does King James say kill? The new version says murder. What's the difference? Well, contemporary Bible scholars, what they discovered is that the King James word, kill, is much too broad in its meaning to apply to the way it's used in the Old Testament. They tracked its usage, this Hebrew verb, and they discovered it's, it's not applied to things like capital punishment. Okay, if, if a murderer is put to death, that's, that's, the verb isn't, the kill verb isn't being used there. 
doesn't apply to just wars where people die. It doesn't apply to self-defense where someone is killed and defending your, your own life. The word, the Hebrew verb, is much more narrower. And it, listen, it applies to innocent life that is killed. To innocent life. That, that's why commandment number six doesn't prohibit capital punishment. In fact, capital punishment is endorsed by the Bible in Genesis 9, verse 6, because in capital punishment, it's not an innocent life that's being taken, it's a guilty life that's being taken. But, but now you see how commandment number 6 very definitely prohibits abortion, the taking of an innocent life. And, and yet we now abort one out of every five babies in this country. In fact, abortion is the leading cause of death in the United States. And you got to think about that for just a moment. You know, heart disease kills 600,000 people every year in our country. Abortion kills 1.2 million babies annually. And it's, it's not a pretty death in spite of what Planned Parenthood would like us to believe. Planned Parenthood says in its online information, check it out for yourself, that the abortion procedure, and I quote, gently empties your uterus. I read this this past week, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Gently empties your, your uterus. 82% of abortions, typically done in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, use the suction method. Okay, Dr. C. Everett Koop, former U.S. Surgeon General, describes the suction method this way. He says, a powerful suction tube is inserted through the dilated cervix into the uterus. This tears apart the body of the developing baby and placenta, sucking the pieces into a jar. The smaller parts of the body are recognizable as arms, legs, head, and so on. Friends, this is what abortion is like at 10 to 12 weeks. And I will spare you the gruesome details of what it's like when the baby is older and bigger and still liable to abortion. But you should check it out for yourself sometime. You should make yourself look at the pictures. Make yourself let the reality sink in. See, are we willing to take an honest look at what abortion does to a preborn baby? Oh, I don't want to see that. Notice what's happening. You need to look. No wonder the taking of human life, innocent human life, is prohibited by God. Now, there are several reasons that pro-choicers use to justify an abortion, uh, even though some of them, that they would affirm that this is to be a last resort. I hear that. But what are those reasons, those common sense reasons they say for, for abortion? Do any of them overturn? Do any of them nullify the first two biblical principles we've considered today? Number one, the value of human life is ordained by God. And number two, the taking of human life is prohibited by God. So do any of the four reasons I'm about to give you, which you hear all the time, do they nullify these two biblical principles? Here's reason number one. A woman should have the right to choose. This is the one we hear most often, but it begs the question, the right to choose what? Okay, we're all pro-choice when it comes to any number of things that a, a woman is free to choose. She ought to have the right to choose where to live or what kind of car to drive or whom to marry or to not get married or whether to have Mexican or Chinese for dinner. We are pro-choice on thousands of things. 
But there are matters about which the government does not grant us the right to choose. That sounds ominous. Let me say it again. There are, there are matters about which the government does not grant us the right to choose. We are not free to drive 90 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. We, we are not free to choose to burglarize somebody's house or kidnap their kids. So, so it's, it's moral silliness to say that the government should not be able to take away our right. Our right to what? Our right to an abortion if an abortion is the terminating of the life of a human being? Hmm. Reason number two, and this is very closely related to reason number one, and that is it's a woman's body to do with as she pleases. You sometimes see the pro-choicer with a sign, something like, get your hands off my body. You know, this, is, this is my body. Well, this reason is actually biologically inaccurate. Because a, a pre-born baby is not a woman's body, even though it resides in that woman. A pre-born baby has its own DNA or, or genetic code. It has its own blood type. It has its own functioning brain and heart and other body parts. In fact, a pre-born baby may have a little boy part that it is certainly distinct from its mommy's female body. Do I need to explain this any further? Okay. So, so and a, listen, an abortion is not just about what a woman does with her own body. It's also about what she does with the body of an innocent somebody else. So I can agree, yes. What you do with your body is one thing, but what you do with the body of someone who resides in you, a little human being, this is another matter entirely. Reason number three, unwanted pregnancies create unbearable hardships for some women. And friends, this reason is absolutely true. Okay. So, someone sent me a link this past week of a, a new website that's really popular called Draw the Line. I don't know if you, you've seen this. It is now trending number three on Facebook. So a lot of people are, are checking it out. Two-minute videos. And, and they, they each tell the story of a woman who had an abortion, and it was a really great experience. Okay? And, and it's not the woman herself. It is a famous actress reading the story, which makes it even more intriguing. So I... You know, watched one by Elizabeth Brown, the actress, and she told the story of a young woman who'd been in an abusive relationship in college. Her boyfriend had beat her up, and uh, she finally had the courage to break up with him, only to discover she was pregnant with his child. What should she do? Okay. Unwanted pregnancies do create unbearable hardships for some women. There is no denying this. Let me say it up front. They do. So, so we can't cavalierly dismiss this reality. And, and God's plan A, which we're going to see in a few moments when we get to the third biblical principle, God's plan A takes this reality seriously. In fact, this is a reality that every Christ follower should be concerned about. We should all be concerned about the unbearable hardships that pregnancies create for some women. Because God has called us the church. God has called us Jesus followers to do something on behalf of those women. Stay tuned. Okay, we'll come back to this. However, those unbearable hardships still don't justify the taking of an innocent human life. Do they? I mean, let's take worst case scenario. Okay, a woman gets pregnant because of rape. 
You, you, you talk about unbearable hardships. That's got to be top of the list, right? So does that justify the woman killing the rapist? Okay, if she goes out and she buys a gun and she tracks him down and she shoots him dead, is that okay? Now, some of us are saying viscerally, yeah, we're liking that. I'm talking legal. Is that okay that she does that? You say, oh, no. Well, friends, if it's not okay for her to kill the guilty rapist, why is it okay for her to kill the innocent baby? Why? Beware of the unbearable circumstances, unbearable hardship argument. In in fact, let me say a side note on this from a biblical perspective. God's word is very counterintuitive when it comes to hardship in our lives. You know what God's word says about hardship? It says embrace it because it's going to draw you closer to God and, and make you more like Jesus if you handle it the right way. Are there unbearable hardships in unwanted pregnancies? Oh my goodness, there are financial hardships and health hardships and relational hardships and stress hardships. Yes. But God says, when you embrace hardship and you lean into me, I could do some amazing things in your life. Let me give you a fourth and final reason you'll hear. You know, in spite of the fact that The taking of human life is prohibited by God. The the world, reason number four, doesn't need one more unwanted baby. This reason fails to take into account that many of those unwanted babies, when the the mom first learns that she's pregnant and it's, oh, I didn't want this. She experiences a change of heart. Nine months later, she loves that little baby. Happens all the time. Not only that, if she doesn't want the baby, even nine months later, the chances are pretty good that some adoptive couple that's been looking for a baby wants the baby. Who are we to say this is an unwanted baby? And let let me take it a step further. Even, Even if it ends up unwanted, does that justify the taking of its life? Is unwantedness a good reason for the termination of life? Because if it is then what about the unwantedness of the homeless person's life? Nobody wants that guy out on the street. So let's just get rid of him. Not a good argument, is it? The taking of human life is prohibited by God. Let's go to biblical principle number three. This is where the rubber meets the road. Put on your seatbelt because I'm going to challenge you to do something. God's word is going to challenge you to do something. Number three, the protection of human life is commanded by God. Now, I want you to go to a third passage. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs. So go to Psalms, and just to the right of Psalms, you're going to find Proverbs. And I want you to look at this in your own Bible. In fact, these are verses you might even want to consider memorizing. Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, and then we're going to look at the last chapter of Proverbs when we're done with that. So Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 say this. Rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if you say, oh, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? We're talking God. Doesn't God perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know about it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done or not done? Okay, flip over to to Proverbs 31, last chapter of Proverbs. Two verses that sound fairly similar to what I just read, verses 8 and 9. 
Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, now these verses from Proverbs don't specifically mention the word abortion, but it's it's pretty apparent that they apply to abortion. I mean, they, they, they talk about those, if your Bible's still open in front of you, mark these lines, they talk about those who are being led away to death. You see that? They talk about those who can't speak up for themselves. Oh my goodness, that would definitely apply to preborn babies, would it not? The verses also, though, let me note, they also speak of those who are destitute. Circle that word. Those who are needy, circle that word. It means they would certainly apply to women who are facing an unwanted pregnancy, who are desperate. Proverbs says we're not to turn a blind eye to these people. We're not to turn a deaf ear to these people. We're to speak up, up for them. We're to rescue them. Again, we're to rescue who? Well, both the endangered babies and the desperate moms. So how do we do that? Let me suggest four applications in wrapping things up today. This this is God's plan A. This is God's alternative to abortion. Four applications. Application number one, if this applies to you, seek forgiveness. Okay, if you've been involved in an abortion in the past, You know, either as someone who terminated a pregnancy or as someone who encouraged somebody else to terminate their pregnancy or as medical personnel who participated in the termination of a pregnancy. Please weigh carefully the first two biblical principles we we considered today. Number one, the value of human life is ordained by God. It's God knitting that baby together in its mother's womb. And number two, the taking of human life is prohibited by God. You know, abortion is serious business. So I I plead with you, don't simply dismiss it, uh, you know, just because our culture says it's okay. Don't try to get over it by just moving on. It doesn't work. Tell you, what what you need is forgiveness. What, What you need is the cleansing of God. If forgiveness is not automatic, here's what the Bible talks, uh, says about forgiveness overall, not just with regard to abortion, but any of our sins. It's only available upon request. Don't, don't assume, well, God will forgive. That's kind of what he does. It's only available upon request. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that our sins deserve. My sins deserve death. Jesus took that punishment on himself. And now he offers forgiveness to those who will surrender their lives to him and who will ask him for forgiveness. So have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you ever specifically asked him to forgive the sin of abortion? If this is you. See, at the end of every one of our services across four campuses, every weekend at Christ Community Church, we have prayer teams available. Sometimes they're at the side of the auditoriums. At some campuses, they're at the front or at the back. They're always available in the Welcome Center as well. And so today, if you, if you need this forgiveness, I don't want you leaving any one of our campuses without having it in hand. And so go to any one of those prayer partners and say, would you pray for me? I want God's forgiveness for this. 
There isn't a week, weekend that goes by at Christ Community Church when I'm in the Welcome Center after a service that somebody doesn't come up to me and says, this is how I messed up my life, X, Y, Z. Could you pray for me? Absolutely. Let's pray for God's forgiveness. So if you need forgiveness, get it today. It's yours. But it's only available upon request. 1 John 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we're still trying to justify our sins, rationalize our sins, no forgiveness. If we confess our sins, God will forgive and cleanse. And, and just to underscore the forgiveness that you can experience through Christ, if you've been through a, a abortion, we have a Tuesday night care night class. It's a 12-week class, just began again. You heard Megan talk about it on the video. It's called Forgiven and Set Free. And I would encourage you, whether, again, you're the one that terminated the pregnancy or the one that encouraged it, whatever, check out Forgiven and Set Free. And, you know, if that still doesn't give you the personalized care you need, we've got counselors we could connect you with. Go to ccclife.org, our website, slash sanctity of life. We'll connect you with a counselor. Second, Get the facts. Okay, number one, seek forgiveness. Secondly, get the facts. Our, our abortion-promoting culture is notorious for distorting or concealing the facts. i got to tell you, Planned Parenthood is a master at this. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Planned Parenthood likes to say that abortion is only a very, very small percentage of what they do. They're all about women's health issues in general. Well, really. See, Planned Parenthood is the primary provider of abortion in the United States. That's the truth. In, in, in a recent year, Planned Parenthood at their facilities aborted a baby on average every 96 seconds. 327,653 for that particular year. Over 30% of the abortions that occur in the country occur in Planned Parenthood facilities. What about the claim that they do all these other health-related issues? Well, you know, they do, do cancer prevention stuff, but that's in the last five years, that's dropped by 50%. They, they do do prenatal care over the last five years, that's dropped by over 50%. They do do breast exams over the last five years, that's dropped by 41%. See, the, the truth is that abortion is a big chunk of Planned Parenthood's business. In fact, I read this past week, if a pregnant woman walks into one of, of their facilities, she is 174 times more likely to get an abortion than an adoption referral. So, so you say, well, where do you get all this information? Well, there are a variety of websites out there. One that I found helpful, though I will agree right up front, I don't always like their tone, you know, but one that I found helpful for information is the Family Research Council, frc.org. If you want to read a good book on abortion that gives you this kind of information, I got to tell you here that every week as I've been suggesting a best book on the topic we're dealing with, it was almost impossible for me to find a best book. And here's why. Most Christian books on the subject are only about anti-abortion statistics and procedures and, 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 and whatever, but say very little with respect to how to care for the woman with the unwanted pregnancy. And that breaks my heart. 
You know, so the book I'm recommending, I will recommend a book. It's called Why Pro-Life by Randy Alcorn. We've got it at Resource. It's a good book. It will give you a lot of the arguments that you heard in the first part of my sermon, but only the last five pages help us to help women who are in this difficult predicament. And that's, that is too bad. Now, it's good five pages. It's really good. In, in my estimation, it should be half the book. If you want to read a great online article, this is an article I would recommend. Make several copies. Keep it in your desk drawer. Okay, especially if you have a high school student who's going to be writing a paper on the topic sometime in the future. The article's by Ann Voskamp. Anything you get of Ann's is wonderful. She's a terrific author, has written an online article called An Honest Conversation About Abortion. You can Google it. And Ann not only gives you the anti-abortion facts, you know, we got to stop killing babies, but she also gives you some positive, many positive suggestions about what Christ followers should do to care for the people involved. Let me give you a third application. Raise your voice. You know, Ann Voskamp, in the article I just mentioned to you, she challenges Christ followers to be pro-voice. I like that. Not pro-choice, pro-voice. Raise your voice. How do you raise your voice? You raise your voice by going to the election booth and voting for a pro-life candidate. That's how you raise your voice. You raise your, your voice by praying. Seriously, when was the last time we prayed for anything related to abortion? Around our, our dinner table, in our community group, we, we prayed for the women struggling with the decision. We prayed for the abortion doctors. We prayed for Planned Parenthood. We prayed for many different aspects of, of this. Let, let me recommend that you not only pray, but that on occasion you consider praying on location. Okay, the Planned Parenthood facility down in Aurora is the third busiest in the country. And right across the street from it, there is this grassy area. You're invited to go stand there and pray. So you don't need to do this weekly, but every once in a great while, why not go there for 10, 15 minutes on your own? Google, map, map it. Go on your own, go with your family, go with your community group and, and pray. Pray for the women who are walking in there that very day to put an end to their baby's life. Be pro-voice. You know, one last way you can raise your voice is you just bring up this, this topic in conversation. Because if you don't, the other voices are the ones that are going to get heard. So I read it, an unbelievable fact this past week. Remember how six months ago there were those hidden videos that were taken of, of abortion providers, workers, and they were talking cavalierly? One lady, as she sipped her lunch and wine, was talking about the sale of body parts. It was so nauseating. Well, here, here's what I read a week ago. After that story died down, they took a poll. 53% of Americans said they'd never heard the story. Never heard this. It was constantly in the news. How could you not hear it? Raise your voice. Let me give you one final application, and this is the catch-all, and this is the biggie. Show that you care. Okay, if you're going to be pro-life, show that you care. God's plan A doesn't call us simply to be against abortion. It calls us to be for endangered babies. It calls us to be for children without homes. It calls us to be for desperate moms. How do you do that? If you really want to know, I've got a bunch of suggestions for us in closing. You could choose any one of them, but choose one. 
to show that you care. Here's the first one, and it's a biggie. Don't just write this one off because it's so huge. Right now, God's Spirit's going to be speaking to some of us regarding this one I'm about to mention. First, welcome a child into your home by adoption, foster care, or safe families. Now, some of you, you know a little bit about adoption or foster care. What is safe families? It's a ministry that we partner with at Christ Community Church. You can care for a child whose whose mom or dad or both are trying to get their act together, and so the child needs to be out of the home, their home, for a few days or a couple of weeks, short time period. You could be a safe family that takes in that child for that short stint. And we're going to put a number up. Our ministry here at Christ Community is Homes of Hope. Anything having to do with adoption, foster care, safe families, take out your phone. I never tell you to take out your phone and text during my sermons, but I'm going to tell you to do it right now. Text this number right now, and somebody will get in touch with you and let you know information about adoption, foster care, or safe families. And some of you are already writing this off. This is too big a step. So I want to tell you a quick inspirational anecdote. David Platt, this pastor who wrote the book Counterculture, one day recently, he called up the DCFS in his county down in Alabama, and he said, hey, how many children could you place right now? And the lady thought that he was, you know, it was a crank call. And he convinced her, no, I mean it. I want to know how many children are without a home. And she said, okay. She did the math, and she said, we got about 150 kids we can't place. And he said, okay, I'm going to get back to you. He went back to his church and he said to his church, church, there are 150 kids in our county without a home. What are we going to do about it? So they called a meeting and gobs of their people came. And before the meeting was over, 160 families in that church decided they would take in one of those 150 kids. Yeah, that is a wonderful. And all this applause means, and I will consider it too. That's the number. Put it back up there. Text it. Now, the second Saturday in February, you know the second Saturday of every month, we do two hours of serving the poor. We invite you to come. We'll give you a project. Put down the date for February 2nd Saturday because one of the options you can choose, choose from is an information meeting having to do with adoption, foster care, safe families. Some of you are thinking, well, I'd be interested, but my wife would never, or I'd be interested, but my husband would never. How do you know until you've talked about it and prayed about it? What if God did a miracle at Christ's community? Our staff has been praying this week that God would do a miracle in our hearts, that we would be pro-life in the truest sense of the word. Oh, wow. And by the way, abortion, excuse me, adoption is very expensive. And so if you look at your life and you say, hey, I'm, you know, <laughs> I could not take a child in, in, into my home for a variety of reasons. Okay, I get that. There are good reasons. But could you support someone who would love to, to adopt a child but can't afford to do so? Because I dare say there are young couples in our church body who would love to do that but can't consider it because it's so doggone expensive. You could write a check. Okay. Here's some, some more examples of applications, and I close with these. At our Tuesday night care night every week, we have support groups for girls and women dealing with unplanned pregnancies. So you want to help them out? You want to come alongside of them, be a, a listening ear, a loving embrace? The, the ministry is called Embrace Grace. You can volunteer. You can start this Tuesday night, show up. Or you can volunteer. Here's another opportunity. 
We support crisis pregnancies throughout our, our community, our community impact ministry. So go online, find out about crisis pregnancy centers where you could volunteer, you could mentor some of these women with unwanted pregnancies. One last idea, and friend, if you're really interested in showing that you care, you could come up with your own ideas. If you have one hour a week, that's it, one hour a week, to connect with an at-risk child, we have a ministry called Kids Hope, and we'll get you connected with a child right in your own community who goes to the grade school closest to where you live, but needs a mentor, needs help with homework, or needs, needs just some TLC for one hour a week, Kids Hope. The protection of human life, all life, not just preborn life, like desperate moms, children that are in the system, protection of human life commanded by God.